You're listening to About My Father's Business, presented by Iron Wifey. Without further ado, here's your host, the Iron Wifey herself, Michaela. Hello, loves, and welcome back to another episode. Now, I have a guest today who I believe her testimony is going to speak to you and change your life. Now, we talk about some real stuff, so please prepare your ears because... Um, If you haven't addressed some of your childhood trauma, you may address it after this episode, and I promise you that. The interview was so deep that we actually turned it into a two-part series just to make sure that we covered all of our bases because the Lord was speaking through her, and I believe that her story is going to touch you in ways that you have never imagined. She is an amazing woman of God. She is a passionate preacher. She is a talk show host. She is an author. She is just a really great friend and i am so excited to introduce her to you today and she's also featured in quarter one's issue of the iron wifey magazine so make sure you snag a copy she will be the cover feature so without further ado ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the show miss shalia roby hey y'all <laughs> hello so i want to first off thank you um for just taking the time to sit with us today i um, I actually met you like my freshman year of college and I have been a follower of your journey and I'm so inspired by what the Lord is doing in your life. So thank you so much. Um, thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. No, it is my pleasure. Now, Julia, you wrote a book. <laughs> Girl. Yes, I wrote a book. <laughs> you wrote a whole book and it's literally like the autobiography of your life mixed with lessons that everyone mm-hmm. can apply to their lives when it comes to their walk with Christ. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, we're going to dive into your book, but girl, you wrote a book. I wrote a book. You wrote <laughs> a book. Man, I yes. mean, one of my, my greatest accomplishments truly, um, because I wrote a book, I finished the book, um, and I did it against every other feeling in my body that didn't want to. So, mm. ooh, I can't wait to get into that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get a little bit of background about you. First off, when were you first introduced to Jesus? Um, as a young child, and all I've ever known. Um, well, that's what I knew growing up. And um, I'm a preacher's kid. So my mother was a minister and um, she was married, but my my father, she wasn't married to my father. So my grandfather took on the role as my father and um, he was the pastor. Um, We had a family church. And so um, I did church every day. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that's where I first was introduced to Christ and where I was first introduced to Christ for myself, Mm -hmm. um, literally had to be on Michigan state's campus, probably not too soon after, um, we met (laughs) um, in that first semester. Yeah. That is awesome. Now I, again, I've been following you through your journey. Um, but I just want to, kind of dive into a little more about you. Can you tell me or tell everyone just a little bit about yourself and your journey from that first semester to today? Yeah, so um, 
a little bit about me is uh, I'm my goal is not to reach perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is to be the embodiment of exactly what God created me to be. Um, and that journey started uh, when I started to realize um, or search or look for who I was. So uh, when I, from from growing up and finding out um, at the age of 12 that I was going to be handed a burden and I, I couldn't f- fully understand it then, um, but knew that I would take a charge, you know, in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and ministry and in some form. Um, and a lot of myself uh, rebelled from that. Mm. I rebelled from that because of my environment and my surroundings. Um, because even though um, I was a preacher's kid, we still struggled. We struggled a lot, actually. Um, not knowing how we were going to eat as a family, all of those different things. And so in my mind, I attributed to following in my mother's footsteps or in my grandfather's footsteps as mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't have what I need to survive. Got it. And that's the way my mind kind of um, formulated that I, as I was growing up, um, I was dealing with a lot of um, different uh uh, spirits and emotions that I couldn't under I couldn't necessarily articulate, but one of them being you know homosexuality and um, and anger mm-hmm. and um, deceit and different things like that that had um, kind of wrapped itself around me because you know you grew up always in those environments and in the in the, the church environment that I had never tell people what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. That's like rule number one. You never tell people what's going on at home. You never disclose how you're truly feeling. You always say face. Mm-hmm. And not to, um, you know, downplay my parents or my, my grandparents, but that's what they knew, mm-hmm. right? This is generations of generations of being taught a certain way, a ter- certain language, um, you know, a certain jargon. And so when I got to college, I really, I was, I did, I felt like I didn't know who I was outside of who my family handed to me. Mm. Um, so I started doing things to, I took on the label of, you know, being bisexual. I took on the label of, of you know, uh, wanting like to be seen, wanting to have popularity. Um, and I took on the label of Delta Sigma Theta. I took on the label of um, a lot of different things. And I broke um, first semester of college. I broke Mm. first semester of college. Um, It seemed like everything was good. When people saw me, I was happy. I was smiling, Um, but I was dying. I was dying inside. So um, I tried to commit suicide when I was 15 years old. And I struggled with a lot of different like emotions and different things like that, mental illness that you know, was never really addressed because it's what I've seen. And when I got to campus, I broke that first semester and I found myself sitting in a psychiatry or a psych, uh, psychiatrist's office um, and being told, you know, you know, you're, you're bipolar, you have PSTD, you have ADD, you have anxiety disorder and mm-hmm. all of these labels, I ate them. They also became a part of me. Um, so it, it, 
how I walked through life was based off of the environment I was walking through. I was taking things from those environments because I didn't know who I was. And I was saying, hey, this must be me. Mm. So, um, you know, along the way, God has never been silent for me. Um, I mean, he has seasons of silence, but he has never been out of my reach. Um, mm. if, if anything, I've always known that I love him. And, you know, in particular, I would make decisions in life. Um, and because I knew better, because I heard the voice of God, even in my low places, they, I didn't just get a slap on the wrist. I got wounded. Mm. I got wounded because I knew better. Um, and it wasn't, it was going to take more than a slap on the wrist for God to get my attention. And those wounds gave me, um, scars and open things that I needed to heal from. So while this journey has been a journey on the path of salvation, because I do believe salvation is a journey. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been a journey of my healing. Amen. Um, so I've been through some roads I've been through. God has taken me through a lot of different scenarios and different things that I always wondered, like, why, why am I here? What's going on? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, and it got to the point, you know, what, where I am now realizing that um, being a deliverer, God has specifically placed me inside of things to get out of them so that I can show people how to get out of them. Mm. And so that has not been like, that's just not fun. Truthfully. It's not the thing that I wanted to hear. It's not the thing that I wanted to hear, but I understood how beautiful it was making me. Like I, you always think when you go through something, it makes you ugly. Yeah. But all it did was make me deal with the depths of who I am. And it it it, it polished me. It refined me like silver. Mm. Um, Amen. You know, so getting to where I am now, hearing the voice of, of God and understanding, you know, evangelism was a space that, you know, an office I was supposed to be in was kind of scary because I honestly was like, when I accepted my call, I had moved back home from Cleveland, Ohio. And Cleveland, Ohio was my wilderness. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> my wilderness. Like, um, and, you know, this was, this was maybe like not shortly after I had, when I moved to Cleveland in 2015, at the end of um, graduating from Michigan State, um, the spring semester before that, I considered myself completely agnostic, mm. completely like, I don't know, like there, there's something controlling everything, but I don't know what it is. Um, and it took a lot of, of support from my loved ones or the ones that were in close proximity to me to convince me, hey, um, you have to deal with this thing called mental illness. You have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, because not shortly after I crossed um, 
when I was uh, 19 years old, I tried to um, overdose. It was soon after I moved off of campus my first semester um, because I dealt with a lot of like bullying. I didn't I didn't know that was a thing in college, but like mm-hmm. our first semester of college, I was like, whoa. Like, and I dealt with a lot of things of people like dragging my name. And it wasn't just in one place. Like I walked through that my entire, because it started, I walked through that. Um, and because I didn't know who I was, I couldn't stand up to that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's always, which is why you should always be um, careful mm-hmm. with how you interact with people. It doesn't take a lot to be kind. Um, you don't have to be nice, but you have to be kind because you never understand what people are going through and what one word out of your mouth can can influence someone else because our, our words are living. They're weighted. Mm-hmm. Once something has to answer that thing that fell out your mouth. God, thank you that it was God for me. Um, but, you know, I attempted to commit suicide um, that following February um, in College Town. I tried to overdose on pills. So 2014, here I am. Like, I have to deal with this monster of a thing. And I went through having a psychiatrist and a therapist and taking medication and um, all of these different things and mm-hmm. staying committed to that regimen because I do believe God anointed and appointed these people to be able to help us have and get us to a point where we can have a sound mind. Mm-hmm. And because what else, what else? Sometimes what else is going to work? And that was the avenue. So I do want to uh, plug that. Like I am an advocate for mental Definitely. health. It is so important to be mentally stable and will over your emotions, to will over your thoughts. Um, We can't do anything else if we don't do that. Um, So, yeah, and it just led me to a point where once I accepted my call and back from Cleveland, it led me to a point where I'm like, all right, God, I don't know to what capacity you are calling me to know. I have a mouthpiece. I know there's different things that you like. I'm writing this book. I don't even, I don't even like writing. Um, Writing is actually really hard for me. Like I like it when I can be creative with it, but being locked in God was like story time. And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I used to literally be like, who would I ever tell these things to? Um, And God was like the world. (laughs) Wow. Like, you know, you're the deepest, like, it's my pain on paper. People get mm-hmm. to reread that. And, um, yeah, I, I was, it wasn't until I gave my first sermon and my brother said to me, my, my brother, I have a half brother. And he said to me, um, you know, don't let, you're going to be a different type of, of, um, you're going to have a different type of ministry, but don't let people use you as an excuse evangelist. And I was like, evangelist. (laughs) (laughs) And I completely, I laughed at it, but I I disregard it because I'm like, Hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm going through, I'm reading. um, And I specifically, you know, I'm reading about Philip. And I'm like, I'm not even sure why I'm on this so much. And then it was in my characteristics. My grandmother is an evangelist. And 
uh, another thing, a lot of people feel like when women are called to ministry, they're supposed to be evangelists. Mm-hmm. Nah, like they're, that's, that's, it's unfortunate to see that. And this happens a lot in the body of Christ, like, because women are just now really, really finding their place um, among, you know, what they've been allowed to do. And um, so I was like, evangelist, everybody an evangelist. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be like everybody else. Like, Mm -hmm. this and this and it. Like, you know, that's how I was thinking about it. But I started to see the resemblances um, and the similarities in my grandmother and my stuff. Mm. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> and so um, God confirmed for me that that was my charge and um, that it wouldn't look like. He prepared me that it wouldn't look like what most people are used to. Um, but then confirmed for me to me that that's why he sent me because it 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 needed to be a disruption in the pattern of people being familiar in the ways that God shows up mm. um and so yeah I took that charge and I'm here now <laughs> amen yes well I love it now I want to I want to dive into pressure doesn't change purpose but okay. Take you taking our audience through your story through the book. Okay, so like as I'm writing the book, what's going on? Well, or so like first off, <laughs> chapter one. Chapter one. Born to worship. So in this book, especially in chapter one, you write about many instances throughout your childhood where worship became like your weapon for like spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. And you write, quote, I'm a big believer that God reveals purpose to children at a young age and that you were called to ministry at 12. How Mm -hmm. did you know at 12 years old that God was calling you to minister? Oh man. So who, um, I, my, my papa was sick. Mm -hmm. Um, my grandpa was sick and, um, he had been having heart issues and I, for whatever reason, felt like I could heal my grandfather. And everything in me was like, if I can just, like, I can just heal him. And we were, um, we, me and my sisters, we were singing. And one day I walked up to my grandpa and I put it, my hand on his chest, like, while I was singing and ministering to my grandfather. And um, I simply, after that moment, I went to my grandmother. Wow. I went to my grandmother this is full circle. I'm just thinking about the fact that this is full circle. And the person <laughs> I went to was my grandmother who, who was an evangelist. Sorry. That just like, um, mm-hmm. and I asked her, I said, grandma, how do you know that you're called to preach and that this is what, this is what it is. And she looked at me and literally, I remember this day so clear. She smiled and she said, you had to ask. Hmm. She said you had to ask. And she said that like like that experience in itself to say, is God calling me to something? Because all of our thoughts and ideas and everything, like they're just a download. It happens somewhere else before it happens here. Mm-hmm. Um and to to get that feeling or that unction, 
mm-hmm. and to have to question it. Um, so yeah, that's that's when I knew. But it's crazy because after I had experienced, um, you know, child molestation um, when I was younger, my aunt had said to me, I was around eight and nine years old. She told me that I was going to carry the burden of my family. And I didn't know what that meant, but she told me, like, she gave me some oil and she told me to go through my house and touch all the light switches and doorknobs because it was chaos in my family. Um, and so it's just like moving forward through through life, I've had experiences that remind me of who I am. And then either I have the, the, the cojones to address it mm-hmm. or, I, or I don't or I don't. And, um, I found myself running a lot like, okay, this don't work. I'm just gonna run away. I'm not going to face that. Um, I'm not going to face me. Um, because accepting that call meant something different. It mean mm-hmm. it meant to strip away everything that I had and was hanging on to about who I was, what I believed, it meant stripping all of that to find my identity in Christ. Mm. And I had done so much work already, right? Yeah. I'd done so much work already to, to figure out who this person was, to create this person. Like, so, yeah, that's how I knew. Oh. Wow. I think it's so powerful that he called you at the age of 12 because... I'm actually doing a Bible study this year about being about the father's business. And we're diving into 12 year old Jesus when he wow. was called into ministry. And so as I was reading, I was like, Ooh, Jesus, like you, you had it on you. Like the, his hand was over you your entire life and he was carrying you through this and you had no idea. No idea. No idea. From the time of birth, from the incident, like there's always something Mm-hmm. In every single one of us, there's always something that likens to the purpose and, and to what we are supposed to do. I, Michaela, there was something you did, you know, as a young kid or a young child that that would give light to the woman that you are right now. I'm a strong believer in that. Strong. For sure. When you wrote that you you know that God reveals purpose to children at a young age, I was like, literally, I knew exactly what God wanted me to do when I was a kid. So I yeah. completely agree with you. Yeah. Now, yeah. I want to get into something a little more personal, because you did mention that uh, as a child, you were molested. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's prevalent in the church because, you know, I, I like you, was also molested as a child. And so mm-hmm. in the book, you wrote... The spirit of molestation and perversion are sneaky and they move silently. Out of all the spirits I've encountered, these ones have an appetite for children. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a statistic that I read that says most survivors of child sexual abuse are 10 to 13 times more likely to attempt suicide. And you've already shared with us that you have had multiple attempts as well. Yeah. What advice do you have for young girls or even women who are, you know, our age and up who are struggling with childhood trauma or suicidal thoughts? Oh man. My advice would be not to run away from them mm-hmm. because the thing with suicidal thoughts um, and your trauma is when you try to cover them and hide them 
and stuff it away and run away from it, that's when it chases you harder. Because I have to specifically make the decision in my mind to say, nope, no, no. So I'm constantly thinking and waiting for you to pop back up because I know I'm fighting with you. I know you like Mm -hmm. I know you're coming. So um, don't run from it. Don't run from it and don't accept it. Mm. Um, you know, my my fight with suicidal thoughts didn't end 10 years ago, seven years ago. It ended three and a half years ago. So people think, you can be spirit, you can be spiritual and nothing, none of these things bother you because you are. No, they bother you because you are. Mm. Um, and a lot of people who adhere to our faith and believe in this the in Jesus, um, you know, our savior, they are dealing with the attack on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not the only person. You, you're not the only person, and you're not going to be the last person to get through it mm. because you're gonna you're gonna face it, and then someone else you're gonna help someone get through it. It's like being a charge, being enlisted into the army of the Lord. We don't get enlisted into the army of the Lord because we graduated and oh yay we made it. No, you go back to war. Yep. And that's something that I have. Um, you know, really put my heart into, um, because I'm still, I just went back to therapy. I just went Mm -hmm. back to my psychiatrist and I'm still warring with the trauma of my childhood. Mm. But that's what I believe, you know, what's happening with Jacob when he wrestled with an angel. Um, a lot of, a lot of theologians and even in reading the, um, I learned how to read the Old Testament in in Hebrew mm-hmm. um, last year, and it's it's implying that Jacob wrestled with himself. And mm-hmm. after he was done, he wasn't called Jacob anymore; he was called Israel. And it's it's like that, mm-hmm. you know. You're wrestling, you're wrestling with yourself to be made new every single time. You're wrestling and you're fighting with yourself to lay down and put your man down every single time. So with my childhood trauma of, of dealing with, with molestation and it being silent, um, it was so quiet what happened to me that, that my mother who loves me so much didn't see it. Mm. Like she did, she, she didn't, she didn't see it. I hid it for myself, but she also didn't see it. Mm. Um, when I went, you know, to school, when I went different places, like you couldn't see it. It was, it was silent. It's, it's usually us finding out, uh, oh, wow. Did you hear such and such got molested? Or did you hear such mm-hmm. and such family member has done this? Like you find out about it after you never catch it in the act. You never catch those slippery things in the act. Yeah. And they sit with us because we don't have the tools, Michaela. We don't have the tools right then and there to understand. That's why it's so important to pray for your children. That's why it's so important Mm -hmm. to war for your children. Because we didn't have the tools or the mental capacity to fight against that spirit. Mm -hmm. So it grew with us. Yeah. That's where that trauma came from. And you're trying, the trauma is trying to tear away from what was. That's trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So you grew with that. It, it grew with you. It grew alongside of you, still not knowing how to address it. And now that you're trying to trying to address it, there's the trauma. There's the friction. There's everything else. And being able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm worthless or worth it when you've mm-hmm. been been used and thrown away as if you're worthless. Yeah. Um, it's a hard thing to do. It's, it's a painful thing to do. Yeah. It's a really painful thing to do. And I would encourage anybody who is dealing with their trauma to the, 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 the there there's purpose in that pain. Mm-hmm. There's so much purpose in that pain. You got to sit inside the pain. You have to come, to the realization that why is this so painful? Cause I have to deal with it. I have to heal from it. Yeah. only unkept wounds stay painful. And then mm-hmm. you die if you don't address them. Wow. Wow. It's so crazy how you say that. Like only unkept wounds stay painful. Cause yeah. I know when, when I was molested, I was so quiet mm-hmm. there was there was nothing to be said nothing it was just I was just quiet and I I praise God because if it wasn't for my dad seeking a relationship with Christ I would not have mm. said anything because one day he literally came up to me and was like something's telling me that this happened to you and I have to ask you did this happen to you and this is maybe 10 years after it had happened Wow. Like, wow. I was like, yeah. And it's crazy because of course it's in the family. You, mm-hmm. know? you know, we're, we're all following Christ. We're all in church on Sundays. You know, it could mm-hmm. be all cousin, you know, like it, it's in the family. It's and when my family. dad brought that up, as soon as I told him what happened, he went to all of his brothers and they all asked their daughters and I wasn't the only one. Wow. There were like 20 to 15 girls that spoke up because I wow. spoke up. See? See? And this is in the family. Go back. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Wow, Michaela, I'm super proud of you. I'm super proud of you. Because even after all the years, it doesn't get easier to say anything. No. It doesn't. People are like, oh, time heals all. Nope. Nah. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> like, not if you don't address it. No. Nope. No, no, no. You're right. Even even now, I realized a couple years back when I first got married that I still had some wounds because mm-hmm. I wasn't as open to my husband as I should have been because mm-hmm. I wasn't I didn't fully deal with what had happened in my childhood and I didn't fully trust men when it came to my body. And so yep. being married, it was like, I'm sorry, you want to have sex? Um, I don't I don't like that. Like, I don't I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're married. And so I really had to like go back. I I had to go back and I had to address those wounds and I had to heal from it in order to allow my marriage to step into the level that it was supposed to be in. Yeah. Yep. That's good. That's so good. Yep. So thank you for sharing in your book, your your journey, because I know that if me speaking of can help 15 women in my family, then this book can help so many more women. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I want to dive a little bit more into your prayer life. So Mm -hmm. 
you know, like you, my grandmother was a huge impact on my life spiritually. <laughs> like I was in the church every Sunday with her, yeah. you know, she would wake up early in the morning, just pray that over the generation, house. I mean, praying women. I mean, that yes. generation, I just be like, whoa, like, can I surpass that? I don't know. Like the exactly. way my grandma, to this day, <laughs> the way my grandma pray, I'd be like, Yes. She's still at it. <laughs> See, and it's so funny because in the book, you break down this moment where you were pretending to be asleep as she was praying. And I remember doing the same thing in my grandma's house. She'd just That's be praying so all out and I'd just be like, oh, I'm asleep. She don't see me. I'm asleep. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm pretending to be asleep. Like, yes, sitting on that couch, man. But you used that story of you being asleep to really set the, the foundation of your prayer life. So can you take us through that moment while you were pretending sleeping when grandma was praying that kind of brought you to sit next to her and allow your prayer life and y'all relationship to kind of grow more than it was? Um, so a lot of it, um, was really like, this is the only, the thing, the start of it was this the only thing that made me feel better. Mm-hmm. Like it really was the thing that was like, well, I can't do anything about this. If I can't change any of this, all right, I'm just going to pray. And a lot of my prayers place, and this, this is, this is the crazy part, Michaela. A lot of my prayers took place, you know, with and, uh, you know, my grandmother or because I was over her house a lot mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of seeing. So uh, uh, as much as I could understand while growing up how important prayer was, because, you know, there's there's levels, there's mm-hmm. uh, dimensions to every single there's dimensions to your prayer life. Um, and it was in writing. Mm-hmm. My mom was like. You only ask for journals. Like when the book fairs like came, you always wanted the diary. You mm-hmm. you wanted the diary. And I was like, Mom, I felt like I had so many secrets. Mm-hmm. And she was like, That's crazy because you read you read these diaries and it's me talking to God. It's a one-on-one conversation. And that for me was like, what? world what in the world there was always the sign of a writer right there like that's how you communicated mm-hmm. you know and so I spent you know as I was growing my I make I don't care where I am McKinley that will be my altar like mm-hmm. and that's one thing that I'm very thankful that God gave me is to be unashamed of the gospel mm-hmm. um I have always been unashamed no matter what. Um, my second year of college, my roommate was um, Islam. Mm. Um, that's, that, that was her religion. And <clears throat> she, she really affected me a lot um, when it came to me trying to figure out where God was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I too affected her. And that's when I started to realize, you know, the magnitude of God was, um, she, you know, they, they turn, um, to Mecca, they pray five times a day. They turn mm-hmm. to Mecca for her to see me drop down wherever I was to pray, freaked her out. Wow. You are out of order. And she was on her period. 
I can't pray right now. That's not something that I can do. And so I'm sitting here like, girl, I'm about to get down here and pray right now. Like, I'm about to stand up and pray. I'm about to talk to whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I had walk by faith, not by sight on our wall. And she was like, you know, our Quran, it doesn't say those exact words, but it says for us to, you know, make sure that we follow after, you know, what God wants and our belief in him rather than what we see. And I'm like, oh, and she was like, so those words, like, I adhere to. And I'm like, I know, like, mm-hmm. because I believe that God is, there's also dimensions of God. Um, and I, I I see other religions as dimensions of God, but not quite the right door. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it's like every piece, seriously, every piece has, um, we, we, our same um, mannerisms of how we pray, how we mm-hmm. worship, how we have the, the sanctity, sacredness. Where did all of that come from? At the Tower of Babel, God dispersed us all over the place. I believe those are dimensions of God and it's us finding us our way back to that door, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Back to that door where we are supposed to be. So I don't necessarily say if if you're this religion that you're bad. No, I have to help you see the door. And, and maybe it's my responsibility for you to see the door in me. Mm. So, <laughs> so it's it's literally like I've made wherever my altar. I, mm. I, I will cry it out. I will pray it out. I will. I, I talk to God. I lament. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do not like pay attention to that lament in our Bible. Lament is part of prayer. It's for me to go to you and, and, and say my frustrations. God doesn't want you to be coy with him. Mm. He doesn't want you to be shy with him. He knows you in every piece and fiber of your body. Why would he want you to pretend at his feet? Ooh, say that. Come on. And then say, I, I need you to trust me. If I told you I accepted you because I, I knew you before you even were in your mother's room, I knew you. Mm-hmm. You know, so and, and going to him, I will be like, God, I have no idea what you're doing. That lament piece, Job. I hear this all the time. Job, everyone's like, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's the part we get to Job so quick. But there are our chapters where Job is consistently asking God, "What's going on? Yeah, what is, what is the man that you won't leave him alone?" He asks, what is a man that you won't leave him alone? And it's getting down. It showed us how it lament to me shows us how to be in relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So, so it can be real. I want you to be real about it. So my prayer life consists a lot of me just getting real with God to, mm-hmm. to, to God gave me this context. I don't know nothing about what my grandmama's been through besides her stories. I don't know what my mama's been through besides her stories. I didn't have that experience. So I tell God, let me embrace this moment in time where you have me and you relate to me. That's why you are who you are. That's why you're omnipotent. That's why you're omnipresent because you are outside of time and you can go to anybody in their time and say, I am relevant because I can speak to you the same way I'm speaking to the person in the future that we don't even know exists yet. Mm -hmm. So I let those moments come in and I say, God, now do what you now do what you're supposed to do. And my prayer life 
I know a lot of people always feel like they have to be in their prayer closet. Like, you know, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody like, I got my prayer closet. I got mine, I got mine. I do too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's not a place I try to um, just experience. I try to walk with it. So I don't know about you, Michaela, but I feel like you might know what I'm saying. It's like, yes, ma'am. Like, God. Like, it's like every decision you make, you're like, I wonder how God would think about this. Yes, ma'am. Like, like, I've been in the worst situations and been like, God, I'm about to make a bad decision, but I'm letting you, I'm having this conversation with you. Decision. And some people would think it's crazy. Like, why would you even do that to God? No, I believe God is like, yeah. Yeah, talk to me in yep. this bad situation because I know you're aware. You're you're trying. You're aware that I'm present. Yes. Like, I can't hide from your presence. So you literally about to watch me do this thing that I'm about to do. Yes. <laughs> like, and that's how it is. So I walk with him. Like my prayer will consist of the words I release um, during out throughout the day. You know, I have alarms set on my phone to just say take a moment of stillness um, because we're so busy. We are so busy. Like mm-hmm. this generation, when do we slow down, girl? We don't right. slow down. You're right. Uh, so yeah, that's been my that's been my uh, prayer life. But then the, just to stress how important it is, even though you can, you know, walk through life, feel like you talk to God, still want to put the importance on how important it is to set out that time to in the face of God. Um, yeah. Still want to point out that importance, y'all, because it's, it's dimensions again. And I don't think I've mm-hmm. unlocked. I'm, I'm I'm reaching through those dimensions. Like I believe this year, God has called me, um, called me to sit with Him more than I think I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm in seminary, everybody's always like, you know, you do you do school all the time. You do Jesus all the time. Mm-hmm. You do. Um, but God is not a chore. And a lot of times school can be made into a chore. Yeah. So I have to literally be di- diligent about doing schoolwork and learning about God and then shifting and being in my personal devotional mm-hmm. and hearing from God. It's two different things. Hey, man. And I'm, I'm sitting here taking notes because I'm about to set an alarm every day that says take a moment. Because. Yeah. Yes. You just take a moment. And, and some people are like, oh, God don't want your five minutes. Yes, he does. Yes, he's he does. Him anything. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. He wants it. So if that's all you can do right now, take that five minutes. Yes. And somewhere yes. to start, take that five minutes. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Now, what is a verse that is kind of the main focus in this season of your life right now? Ooh, man. Nah, that's so good. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, hold on just one second. Yep, girl, take your time. Take your time. Because I know that each season of my life consists of different focuses. And I have, I've realized that every year on my birthday, God gives me a gift and I am so grateful for each gift, but each gift is a a, a yearly focus. Mm -hmm. So right now, my scripture of focus is 
when 12 year old Jesus is in the temple, wow. and, you know, he's like, why did you look for me? Didn't you know I must yeah, be no, about, I about my, my father's business? Father's business. Mm-hmm. Wow. But so, I mean, come on for you, for you to be in there right now and this to be about my father's business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so good. So that is my focus for the year. Now, last year, the the focus was different. So I just know like there are different verses and different points in scripture that kind of shape our movement. And so I'm just kind of curious what it is for you in this season. Um, So it may be um, two different ones. Um. And so what fell in my spirit when you initially asked was, come all ye who are heavy laden, um, and I will give you rest. Um, And I went through this past season, like coming up to to now feeling heavy. Hmm. And usually when I feel the heaviness of God, it's because, you know, he's, he's about to take me into a place of restitution, mm-hmm. um, restoration. Mm. And, um, but, but the assignment doesn't stop. It's, it's a, it's a certain feeling. Well, then there's also, um, second Peter, uh, the third chapter, uh, the, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing mm-hmm. that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. Um, and there's been a saying for myself that I feel like, you know, God has really downloaded for me. And that's that God wants to know. Jesus wants to know. The Holy mm-hmm. Spirit wants to know. Are you redeemable? Mm. And sometimes I'm very impatient with myself. Like I'm hard on myself. I'm really hard on myself. And this happens to be the Bible verse of today, which Mm -hmm. was crazy. Like I got off work at two o'clock in the morning and I was really having a hard time. And I sat on my couch and I'm like, man, I just need to read the word of God. And it was right there, but it was the exact, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. in in part, exactly what I needed to hear. Mm -hmm be wanting or feeling like I be at a certain level. So when you guys come into ministry, and Michaela tell you, because this is ministry, this Mm -hmm. is what she's doing is full blown ministry. Um, And when you come into it, there's this unrest that is like, am I doing enough? Yep. Yep. There's this unrest, like, (laughs) am I doing enough? I'm not doing enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not helping enough. I'm not touching enough people. And not in a sense of visibility and influence the way people look at it right now, but am I touching enough people as in, like, am I affecting you um, and spreading the gospel or spreading what you need um, in that moment? So uh, am I rubbing shoulders with the right people that Mm -hmm. need to rub off on me? Am I doing the right things? And I, I believe coming into this season where I am right now, um, and how God is evolving me, it's like, I'm patient with your evolution. Mm. That's why I made you that way. Like, it's all, it's one thing to be hard on yourself, but can you give yourself that same grace, the same measure of grace, the same way you're hard on yourself? Do you ever give yourself that same measure of grace? Mm. 
Girl, everything. Want, it's a gem. Just yeah, keep like dropping them. Mm-hmm. Like, just is, it's like not wishing he doesn't want me to perish. Mm-hmm. He just wants me to repent. Like, he don't, mat- he don't care how slow it is because he doesn't stand in time. Wow. I just need you to never give up. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's what, you know, being in, in repentance is for me. It's, it's every time you do it, every time you come to it, because re- re- repentance also isn't a one-time thing. <laughs> like, like <laughs> salvation is a journey. Repentance is a journey. Mm-hmm. But you walk them alongside each other. The moment your repentance becomes stagnant, your salvation becomes stagnant. Wow. Wow. So I'm just trying not to be stagnant, Michaela. I'm just trying not to be stagnant, but I'm also trying not to to rush the makings of me. Mm-hmm. God knows my appetite right now, and I have to remind myself of that. He knows what I can handle and what I can take. And in those moments of stretch when my appetite needs to increase there, and unfortunately we don't like it, but there is adversity. Yeah. So right now I feel the calmness of him telling me to rest and give yourself grace, but you cannot, you cannot stop because I said doing it. Most people think rest means like, take a break sleep like like, no 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 the frustrations the worries of your soul Mm -hmm. rest that for me i'm trying to do something and you distracting yourself (laughs) like that's (laughs) that's what i hear god saying to me he's like yep trying to do something and you're you're distracting me come Mm -hmm. on (laughs) yeah wow wow i love it Well, loves, there you have it for part one of the interview. Isn't Shalia dope? Tune in Thursday for part two and make sure you grab your copy of the new Q1 issue of Iron Wifey magazine releasing this Friday. Now, because Shalia is the cover feature, um, you have to make sure you tune into part two because we're going to get even deeper. We cast down shame. We reveal what kingdom living truly looks like, and we overcome pressure as we walk into our purpose. Guys, know that God loves you, and so do I. And until next time, continue to sharpen each other as we carry out our Father's business. I love you so much, and I'll catch you in the next episode.